From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. As the federal government struggles to rebuild Australia's economy, the threat of a trade war with China risks damaging our recovery. Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on the twin challenges of rebuilding the economy and managing our relationship with our largest trading partner. Hello, Paul. How are you? Oh, good. I'm just going back into the room, Mm -hmm. firmly closing the door. Perfect. So when you're ready, I'm ready. All right, let's jump in. So, Paul, in a normal year, this week would have been Budget Week. That's right, Ruby, but uh, that's not what happened, of course. Coronavirus has delayed the budget until October. The government, I've got to say with its fingers crossed, is hoping by then to have a clearer idea of just how great the economic carnage is being and what pathways there might be out of it globally and domestically. So what did the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, say in his economic update on Tuesday instead? Well, the Treasurer had a bleaker view than what we've heard until now from the government talk of snapback that was all the go at the beginning of last month, well, that's gone, and now it was talk of sobering economic impact in very difficult and uncertain times. Australia finds itself at war against a faceless and flagless enemy. Frydenberg said the coronavirus has created a one-in-hundred-year event. A health and economic shock the likes of which the world has never seen. The message was given a dramatic twist, though, Ruby, when midstream, the Treasurer suffered a dry-hacking coughing fit. (coughs) It lasted an agonising minute. (coughs) And it robbed Frydenberg of his voice as he was spelling out the extent of the ruin. Too long a speech. The Treasurer was keen to tout the success of the JobKeeper payments. (coughs) During the course of his coughing fit, he attempted to list a handful of businesses that had been rescued by his initiative. Like Luke, the owner of a local restaurant and bar in (coughs) Chapel Hill, Brisbane, who said JobKeeper saved our bacon, and Adrian, owner of an auto business. I've got to say, it was a grim spectacle. The Treasurer's real focus was to emphasise why it's so important that the nation gets back to business, but in a way that will not risk a second wave of infection. The promise of restoring almost one million jobs by July depended, he warned, on everyone continuing to follow the health advice. Failing to do so could see restrictions reimposed at a loss of more than $4 billion a week to the economy. In a sense, that's the size of the gamble that the National Cabinet, you know, the Prime Ministers, Premiers and First Ministers are taking with their tentative three-stage reopening of the economy. And Paul, this was supposed to be the week when Josh Frydenberg was set to announce that the nation was back in the black. (laughs) Oh, the irony of ironies, Ruby. That's right. All through the election campaign, Frydenberg and the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, promised this would be the week that we were back in the black. 
they even had an ACDC uh, ad to ram home the point. And, you know, it worked. Post-election analysis found this claim was a key element in the surprise election win. Uh, maybe not surprisingly, on Tuesday, Frydenberg balked at predicting how wide of the market actually was. But Deloitte Access Economics uh, weren't so shy. Uh, it's forecasting the deficit will hit $142 billion, an Australian record. And it projects that unemployment won't return to pre-virus levels for at least four years. So it's quite a different picture now then. How was Frydenberg's speech received? Well, I've got to say it was seen pretty much as a disappointment. Economists and commentators from the left to the right of the spectrum founded a rehash of what was already known with no clear ideas of a route to recovery. In his reply speech, Shadow Treasurer Jim Chalmers said, all we got was a cut and paste of what the government had already said. And Ruby cheekily, cheekily would have to say, If only the Treasurer had coughed up some detail or a plan. Former Liberal leader Dr John Hewson said he was none the wiser after the statement. He said there was no pathway forward and we have to trust they know what they're doing. So do we have any indication as to when Australia's economy might start to recover? Well, we did get some analysis from accounting giant KPMG. Uh, it said it'll take many parts of the economy years to recover. It won't be until the start of 2022 that the arts, retail, trade, air transport and accommodation and cafe sectors will be back to what was considered normal. Right. So back to Josh Frydenberg for a moment. His coughing fit in Parliament led to speculation that he might actually be unwell with coronavirus. What's the latest there? Well, uh, he was tested and it came back negative very quickly, I've got to say, almost within a matter of hours. We're told some water went down the wrong way. And you know what? That's pretty good news, not only for Josh Frydenberg, but for his senior colleagues. For example, the Prime Minister walked out of the chamber, shoulder to shoulder with the Treasurer, all the way back to his office. We'll be back in a moment. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Paul, the other big story this week, and it's very connected to our economic situation, is the mounting tension with China. Yeah, Ruby, Morrison's challenges are multiple and severe, and I've got to say they're not helped by his handling of our relationship with China. Not only is the Asian giant our biggest customer, but little known or maybe recognised, Australia is one of the few nations that actually has 
a trade surplus with China. And by some measures, we're the nation with the biggest trade surplus. But anyway, our relationship is so fraught that unlike his predecessors, Howard or Gillard, for example, Morrison can't get on the phone to President Xi Jinping to directly sort out the latest trade row threatening billions of dollars of our exports. And uh, even at the trade minister level, Simon Birmingham's request for a phone call to his counterpart, Zhong Shan, is being ignored. Birmingham is desperate to defuse China's threats to slap an 80% tariff on barley exports worth $600 million. And he wants to resolve the blocking of about $1 billion worth of beef exports over a claimed labelling issue. And you know our wine and dairy exporters, they're worried they could be next. So midweek, Morrison and Birmingham admitted in Parliament they are concerned. However, they're publicly framing the problem in technical trade terms, trying to be quite diplomatic about it. What's been the response to all of this from the business community? Well, Ruby, the Australia-China Business Council, for example, its chief executive, Helen Sorzak, definitely doesn't think it's a technical trade issue. She said during a web discussion with Huawei's Jeremy Mitchell that anti-China hawks, particularly in the national security area, are giving unbalanced advice. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about national security concerns because it should be overriding our economic interests. Well, if the spooks were were managing our uh, economic interests, this country would go down the gurgler. We've always, always relied... And this all relates to calls for an international inquiry into China's role in the outbreak of coronavirus, which Morrison was pushing for and which we talked about on the show a couple of weeks ago. Yes, Ruby, you can imagine Morrison regrets trying to lead the world on this issue. If he does it, he should. China saw us playing deputy sheriff to Donald Trump and it threatened repercussions then. It seems willing to make good on those threats. And two former foreign ministers, Julie Bishop and Gareth Evans, have been highly critical of our ham-fisted diplomacy. This week, Evans described the government's suggestions for the COVID-19 inquiry as a thought bubble. Well, I have to say the inquiry thought bubble that was articulated by the, the government uh, was very much a, an own goal and an exercise in diplomatic self-isolation. As, uh, as someone and Bishop picked up the theme. She said Morrison's talk of a weapons inspector-type powers for health investigators was inappropriate. And she said futile because China, as a Security Council member, could veto it if it believed it was hostile. Bishop said calm and considered diplomacy was required. Through quiet advocacy and persuasion, China can become part of uh, an exercise in lessons learned. And I wouldn't give up on the quiet... Now, Julie Bishop, remember she was foreign minister for six years, well, she was dismissed as an airhead by Liberal Senator Conchetta Ferriavanti-Wells in an angry tweet Sorry, Avanti Wells is an outspoken critic of China. She's one of those China hawks. Post-Wuhan coronavirus, Australians do not want business as usual with the communist regime in China. And joining her from the floor of parliament was Nationals MP George Christensen. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. Australia is at a crossroads. We can keep giving in to communist China's threats or we can stand up for our sovereignty and our economic independence. He said Australia should no longer put up with China's economic infiltration and blackmail. Being so entangled with an authoritarian regime has left our nation 
open to economic blackmail and boycotts like that mooted by China's ambassador and the actions recently against both our barley and beef exports. Now, Ruby, I've got to say this is curious from George. He won his North Queensland seat based on a very strident campaign of looking after our coal export jobs. Anyhow, one thing is for sure, without China's trade, Morrison and Australia won't be getting the economic bounce back the nation so desperately needs. And while Parliament did come back this week, it's now suspended again. That's right. Uh, At least it's the government's plan, and it is causing considerable concern. A few people have said it's undemocratic, and Labor's parliamentary tactician, Tony Burke, says now is the time for scrutiny. But his attempts to have the government bring down a new parliamentary sitting calendar have failed. It's ridiculous to have a situation where the rugby league's going to be going back and playing and the Prime Minister's saying that Parliament can't meet in the normal way. Tony Burke, thanks for joining us. All governments can find Parliament a nuisance, but Scott Morrison appears particularly dismissive of its role in holding him to account on things like sports rorts and putting his political interests ahead of the national interest. Paul, given your experience covering federal politics, do you think that it's a problem that we aren't having regular sittings of parliament during such an unprecedented economic crisis? Well, yes, I do. I think there is a balance here. It's clear that um, tough decisions have to be made quickly, and they have been. But as we've seen, the parliament can meet and come to the task properly. Already, the Australian parliament sits less than, for example, the Congress in the United States or the parliament at Westminster. And I just think that if this is allowed to keep developing in the way it is, we may as well shove our parliamentary democracy. Paul, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Ruby. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Also in the news, new figures from the Australian Bureau of Statistics show that the country's unemployment rate has had its steepest monthly rise on record. Nearly 600,000 people lost their jobs in April and a further 600,000 people had their working hours cut back. The Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, said that the majority of people no longer in work, 325,000, were women. The ABS said that 2.7 million Australians either lost their job, had their hours reduced or left the labour force last month. However, the official jobless rate climbed just one percentage point, despite the mass layoffs, to 6.2%. That's lower than expected, with the ABS saying it was due to a slump in the proportion of people who were actively looking for work. The youth unemployment rate also rose to 13.8%, up from 11.5%. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, said that the loss of jobs was devastating for Australian families affected by government restrictions and business shutdowns. 7am is a daily show from the Monthly and the Saturday Paper. It's produced by Ruby Schwartz, Atticus Basto and Michelle Macklem. Elle Marsh is our Features and Field Producer in a position supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. Brian Compo mixes the show 
Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. New episodes of 7am are released every weekday morning. Make sure you don't miss out by subscribing on your favourite podcast app. I'm Ruby Jones. See you next week.